You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Thank you for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you enjoyed this episode and want to stay tuned to the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and Odyssey. Doing so is completely free and ensures you never miss another episode. Before we kick off this episode, just wanted to say Happy New Year to all of you who are rejoining us for the 2022 year. It has been uh, a, a interesting first couple of months of the NHL season. Obviously, this season for Winnipeg has already kind of kicked off in a more memorable fashion than I think anyone was really expecting, and uh, we're definitely starting to approach the heart of the season. It's getting on to be close to the halfway point, and there's a lot to discuss with the Jets, I think. You know, this, this season has had some interesting storylines. And, of course, the the biggest one is uh, Paul Marie stepping down and Dave Lowry stepping in as the interim head coach for what sounds like the remainder of the season. Now, Lowry, I've gotten a lot of pushback online because I feel like Dave isn't really a step up for Maurice. In fact, I think in some ways the Jets have actually gone backwards. And, yes, I do know that the Jets are 2-1 and one under Lowry, but I think you have to look really closely and kind of take a look at the results get a better sense of what exactly is happening and why the Jets are succeeding, and ask yourself if things are really any different than they were under Maurice. As I mentioned earlier, they are 2-1, and one, and that second win came tonight against the uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, which, you know, this is a team that traditionally has been a tough one for the Jets to get by. Vegas plays a style that in the past has given Winnipeg fits. Past couple of years, though, the Knights haven't really been as elite as they usually are. This season, in fact, they've been more vulnerable than we're used to. But over the past couple of weeks, their form has returned to definitely high-scoring, high-octane offense. It's not a team that you can really sleep on. And even though they've had some rough defensive performances, again, this is the Jets we're talking about. You have to be honest with yourself and realize Winnipeg against good teams usually has a tough outing. So I wasn't really holding out a lot of hope for this outing. I kind of thought tonight's game against the Knights, uh, tonight being Sunday, I'm recording the day before this goes live, um, but, you know, I, I was kind of expecting the, the Jets to have a bit of a tough time, and honestly, in the first couple of minutes against Vegas, we pretty much saw exactly that. The Jets definitely look slow, and to be honest, I, I think that there is at least an argument there that Winnipeg still needed to get its skating legs going. Yes, they haven't played in a couple of weeks. Yes, there will be rust. But by the same token, you know, Vegas has actually played a couple of games recently and they're facing a really rested Jets team. So I, I think the hope is that Winnipeg would actually be maybe a little bit faster off the off the jump, but obviously, you know, it takes a little bit of time to get back up to game speed. Unfortunately for the Jets, that did mean conceding a couple of very early goals. I didn't, you know, really love either of them. I, I thought that there were some sloppy turnovers. Winnipeg kind of put itself in a really tough position early. The Jets kind of look like they were skating through cement, and, you know, Vegas is a very fast team, especially on the forecheck. So this was a squad that immediately put Winnipeg's defenders and skaters under pressure. The Jets had very poor zone breakouts. 
I thought that every time they tried to clear the defensive zone, there was a Vegas skater to meet the puck. It was a bit of a tough performance to watch in the first 20 minutes. Winnipeg kind of got its face kicked in. And you look at the lineup coming into this game, and I think I, I had a lot of questions about it. You know, you had Harkins on the second line with Dubois and Connor, which that pairing I, I didn't really think was going to do all that well. As good as 81 and 80 are together, I kind of feel that you at least need a middle six to top six forward to take the other right wing spot. And, you know, Harkins, I do think that Jansen is actually very talented, and certainly he has shown those in flashes. But in terms of being a consistent performer in this lineup, I don't really see it, and certainly not enough to be on the second line. I think Harkins has, you know, those those moments of offensive brilliance with some great stick handling and surprisingly good edge work, but it just doesn't come together enough to where he's a consistent force on the ice and he really gets that second line spot. You know, if it were me, I'd have Zvechnikov back up there. I think that line has traditionally been very dominant. It's a unit that you can rely on almost all situations, and for me, I don't really understand why the Jets haven't gone back to it. Now, Zvech did come out uh, a couple of weeks ago due to injury. I don't know if he's still injured, so if he was healthy scratch tonight, that for me is a problem. I'm sure there were folks who will say, well, you shouldn't question an NHL coach, and maybe there's a reason why he was held out. And that's true. Maybe he's not really fully fit, and they're worried about him re-injuring things. But if he's not, if he was actually ready to go, then Zvech should have been in tonight. I, I don't really feel that there's much debate about that. Harkins just has a really hard time keeping up with a lot of high-octane elite forwards. You know, sometimes he can be a nice complimentary guy if you have some, like, really elite play drivers and guys who can basically feed him good scoring opportunities because Harkins definitely can finish. There is no question about that. He's got a great release. Again, he's got great stick handling, and his vision is actually pretty good once he finds the, uh, the net area. The problem is the rest of his game hasn't really progressed to the point where I feel like a top six role makes a lot of sense. And then you're looking down the rest of the lineup where we had Toninato, Gustafsson, and Veselainen on your fourth line, and then Kopp, Lowry, Reichel on your third. Yeah, it's just a, a bit of a strange squad. Checking back up on it, it does seem like Svechnikov was hurt, but in that case, I still probably would have had Veselainen on that second line. Connor Dubois, Veselainen probably would have done a much better job, but it is what it is. Speaking of Veselainen, he only had seven minutes of ice time tonight, which is pretty minuscule. Uh, Dominic Toninato had six and a half minutes, and of course David Gustafson only had two minutes, but that's because he did leave, I believe, the first or second period with an injury, which is super unfortunate. Gustafson, I, I really feel like David is starting to carve out an NHL role once he's actually getting full ice time. The problem, though, is that he has had a couple of injuries recently, and it does feel like he might have re-aggravated whatever he had before the Christmas break kicked in. There's still a lot more to discuss with this game, though, especially after the first period in which the Jets found themselves down 2-0. You know, the first goal was a bit of a messy one. I think Amadio had a really nice look on a rebound that Mark Shifley frankly should have closed down, but it is what it is. And then Evgeny Dodonov scored a little bit of a fluky goal, but, you know, you could say it was created by a 2-on-1. It went off of Morrissey's skate after Dodonov was looking for a cross-seam pass. Instead, it deflected off of Morrissey and in. So you can't really say, like, it's it's super lucky because it probably would have been a goal anyways, but of course the deflection, not much Hellebuck can do about that. And suddenly Winnipeg felt like it might be in a bit of trouble, but, you know, there were still two periods left, and I was kind of wondering if the Jets would have a big response in the latter two periods. We'll find out in just a moment, but before we go any further, I thought you should hear a little bit about Built Bar and why they're the best-tasting protein bar on the market. 
It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your New Year's plans. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but it's even better for you. They make it easy to stick to your New Year's resolution because it tastes so good, you'll actually want to eat it, unlike all those other waxy, chalky, boring protein bars you're used to. Built Bars are coated in 100% real chocolate and contain around 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Good luck finding a candy bar that's as guilt-free as Built Bars are. Ready to make the change? Go through your cupboards or all of your secret snack stashes and throw out all the junky, calorie-laden, super sugary foods that you can replace with Built Bars. You don't even have to love working out. Built Bars are suitable for every lifestyle and can help you cut calories the tasty way. To get started, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 at checkout for 15% off at Built.com. Start your New Year's resolutions off the Built way. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked on Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you're firing this episode up on a Monday morning, I'm sure you're catching up on the stuff that happened in yesterday's Winnipeg game versus Vegas. And, you know, the first period, you know, you probably heard wasn't so great for the Jets. But second period, I thought Winnipeg was a lot more effective, which might be a bit of a low bar to clear. I mean, Winnipeg in the first period... I think they surrendered something like, uh, you know, 2.2 expected goals and chances, something like 22 shots on goal, and yet they only conceded two thanks to Connor Hellebuck kind of being a bit of a beast. But, you know, after that rough first 20 minutes, the Jets started to come out of the second period looking a lot faster, and, you know, off the uh, the quick hard work that we saw, Jansen Harkins actually had his third goal of the season. It was a very nice individual effort from the top of the faceoff circles carved his way down to about the midpoint between the two circles and then just let a shot go that just seemed to beat Laurent Brassois pretty cleanly. Don't know if Bross just sort of had a squeaky moment or if he was actually screened, but either way, Harkins made it 1-2, to two, which was not a bad effort at all. And I'm sure people will say, well, that's why he's on the second line. And yes, that is kind of why he's on the second line, but I think it's also a really good illustration of, you know, the things that Harkins can do really well and that he doesn't do enough. Like I said earlier in the show, I do think Harkins is is actually very talented and skilled. It's just that it's been difficult to find a way for him to consistently put all of that hard work and skill into something that's actually cohesive and playable. If you use someone like the fourth line, I don't really feel like it's that big of a deal. But certainly at a, at like a top six role, I feel like that's probably more than I would be looking for. So yeah, you know, it's a nice goal, but... It's not something that I would expect to be all that frequent unless he suddenly starts finding chemistry and really starts to get back to where that, that early promise that we saw when he first joined the team was was kind of showing. Not even 30 seconds later, though, Christian Reichel added a second goal, his first career NHL goal that was off a, uh, a bit of a wall forecheck or something. I think there was a forced turnover, and then Reichel got the puck, just sort of had that mindset of shooters shoot, and I, I think he was saying he either closed his eyes or, or maybe was joking about it and, and picked a corner, but he didn't even really have much of a chance to look at the net. He just sort of wristed it, and I think it caught Brassois completely by surprise because Brassois sort of dropped down, and the puck just beat him cleanly over his left shoulder. It was a beautiful snipe. It's one of those rare ones that you probably won't see all that often, catching a netminder by surprise from along the wall. But a great goal. It was super cool to see Reichel get this. I honestly think Christian Reichel 
you know, has like an NHL role somewhere on a fourth line. I don't know that I would be asking him to play like top six minutes necessarily, but he does enough at even strength to be a guy that if you put him on the fourth line, I think you'd get pretty okay results. He's a nice depth player, and I'm glad that he's finally getting an NHL shot here and there. I thought that he's probably deserved it for the past couple of years, so I'm happy to see him find some success, and hopefully he keeps it up. I think he he has shown a lot with the Moose, and uh, he's been a very effective player, and actually, the Moose were in the middle of a game, and uh, his teammates found out that he was scoring, and they were all very happy. I honestly think their first reaction was like, wow, that actually went in. I mean, that was kind of such a crazy angle for him to take that shot from. Like I said earlier, it is the mindset of shooter shoot. It's not the kind of shot that you would often see many players taking. I, I think there are some snipers out there like Tarasenko and a few others who might attempt that, but even then it's still pretty rare and even rarer still that you actually score off of it. Not a bad way to open your NHL account, that's for sure, and it was a very critical goal. You could kind of feel like that first period was getting away from Winnipeg, but suddenly the Jets score two bang-bang goals after a couple of really good shifts in which they were generating some very good offensive pressure, and just like that, you know, the Jets are right back in it. The rest of the period was a bit uneven. You know, you could see the Jets were starting to push and create offense down in Vegas' slot, but, you know, the Golden Knights definitely weren't sitting back. They were countering heavily. Uh, they had a couple of odd man situations that the Jets were probably a bit fortunate not to concede on. I thought Hellebuck, again, was very good in net. He bailed the Jets out on a couple of really bad sequences where Winnipeg might have made a couple of really ugly turnovers and stuff, but, you know, overall, Hellebuck, still a very solid second period performance gave the Jets a chance to really come back in this game, and Winnipeg was actually skating at a pretty decent clip. It felt like, you know, maybe they're going to come back in this game. Maybe they're going to find a way. And I'll, I'll say that, you know, one thing that has improved under Lowry is that when Winnipeg attacks the slot area, they definitely do look for some cross-seam movement and stuff, which is nice to see, but, you know, it does come with some odd issues here and there. I, I think the way that they use their point shooters is maybe a little bit too frequent, I don't mind a point shot here and there to keep a goaltender honest, but sometimes it feels like the Jets maybe use uh, that sort of play style a little, a little bit too much, and they're sort of fishing for rebounds or tips. With the kind of shooters the Jets have, I don't know that this style is what I would be looking for necessarily. Uh, I, I don't mind fast counters and stuff and attacking the slot area relentlessly, but I think it has to be done in a way where you have like a lot of skill doing this kind of stuff. Guys with your best releases and great shots kind of getting into those really soft areas where the goalie can't really cover and the Jets can easily snipe. So, you know, sometimes Winnipeg has those guys in the right positions, but a lot of times it does feel like things are disorganized and very loose. And that sort of disorganization I do feel against much stronger teams will be an issue. Of course, though, this game still had at least one period left, and we'll see how the Jets fared and if things were on the right track for the Jets, or if uh, there were some scares here and there. You'll have to wait to find out in just a moment. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We are taking a look at Winnipeg versus Vegas, which uh, concluded on Sunday afternoon, an earlier game than we're usually used to. Naturally, it was Winnipeg's first game back after a few weeks off thanks to uh, COVID delays and certainly uh, the Christmas break and everything in between. So, you know, you were expecting the Jets to be a bit rusty, and the first period definitely was rust. Uh, certainly, Vegas was the faster team, looked a lot more, I would say, with it. And then the Jets came out in the second period, had a nice outing, generally speaking, at least compared to the first period, you know, uh, scored a couple of goals. And the vibes were a little bit better. 
And so coming into the third period, I was kind of curious to know if the Jets were going to keep exchanging chances and kind of figure out some of the stuff defensively. But before we even had to, to worry too much, Paul Stastny made it 3-2 to two, thanks to a beautiful tip. This one just sort of squeaked through Bressois because I don't think he was really expecting Stastny to tip it at the angle that he did. It was a brilliant tip and one of the best that you'll see this year. But I'm sure Laurent would probably like that one back. And then a couple minutes later, the Jets had a power play. And on this one, they actually converted. They'd had one or two power plays previously in the game, but nothing that was really all that exciting. And then this one happened, and Cop actually shoveled a rebound opportunity back into the net off of uh, Bressois' pads. You know, the vibes were very much cooking. The Jets looked pretty decent. And, you know, you thought, well, things are going okay. You know, maybe Winnipeg can actually see this one out. Maybe they'll have a nice road win. But, you know, with the Vegas Golden Knights, you really can't sleep on them. And as the period started to wear on, you started to see Vegas really turn up the heat. And when this team starts skating and moving really quickly, hitting back on those fast counters, the Jets just really struggle to keep up. And I felt like at some point, it was going to start biting Winnipeg. And then on one of those sequences, Dylan DeMello was trying to take a back pass or something along the right wall. Didn't exactly go super well. And he ended up tripping and falling, which put Matias Janmark in on goal. And if you've watched Janmark before, you know that he's pretty darn good. And he roofed one right past Telebuck. Not much of a chance for Connor to do much about it. And after that, Winnipeg kind of started to watch as Vegas went full court press, which isn't super shocking. Vegas was chasing the game. They smelled blood in the water. And to be honest, I did actually tweet that I felt Winnipeg was going to concede with like 30 seconds remaining. You know, goalie pulled. Suddenly, Vegas would, would find a nice scoring opportunity and end up tying it to force overtime, which I thought the Jets might actually lose. Uh, and in fact, half of this kind of came true. Janmark, with only eight seconds left in the game, ended up deflecting a puck that was, I think, a point shot or something. There was a whole mass of bodies in front of the net, and Winnipeg ended up conceding thanks to the absolute chaos and lack of uh, proper defensive marking on the 6-on-5. I get that a 6-on-5 is naturally chaotic for the Jets, but Winnipeg is just really bad at defending them, and they've conceded throughout the past couple of years a lot of these goals late in games with the goalie pulled that, you know, most other teams would be able to kill off with a relative degree of comfort. Winnipeg, though, because of their disorganization and general defensive chaos, plus the man-to-man -man stuff, it just never seems to go well. And so, you know, Winnipeg, off to overtime they went. And this overtime, it wasn't actually as bad as I was expecting. First couple of shifts, I thought, you know, maybe the Jets would actually find a winner here and there. Kyle Connor had had a couple of really good shots throughout the game. He felt that maybe he would capitalize on something. But, you know, Vegas had a couple of opportunities themselves. Hellebuck had to make a couple of decent saves. And then finally, you know, the Jets had a counter going the other way. It started off with Kyle Connor in the neutral zone. Connor ended up corralling a puck, kind of circling back. And then he saw a couple of Vegas skaters converging on him. And what he did was really dirty. He actually, like, body fainted with his shoulder and then kind of pushed out to the right instead as they sort of came towards him and accelerated into this beautiful stride, created a two-on-one almost by himself, and then instead of passing it off, just took the shot. It ripped through Bressois, and just like that, the Jets came away with a 5-4 to four victory. So, yeah, you know, a fun game, but I, I think this game still shows some of the reasons why I have some issues with the Jets and their coaching staff and selections. I still feel like this team needs a more progressive mind at the helm. I think Winnipeg does some things better than it did under Maurice, especially around the slot. But, you know, defensively and certainly with, with the communication, the organization, uh, and some of the lineup deployments, 
I haven't loved it as much. I think that there are st still some uh, notable problems that need to be resolved. And like I know people will say, well, it's only been three games. But, you know, the team has been practicing a lot recently. They've had time to kind of iron out systems changes. But I think the thing that folks have to remember is Lowry's been a member of this team for a while. And so the way that he runs things probably isn't going to be that different from Maurice. I think he probably shared some of Maurice's ideas. And certainly the way that this team has played and the general sameness that you, you kind of feel with it, it actually isn't that much of a departure from what we saw earlier this year. And it just further for me reinforces that I still think this team would do better looking for a new coaching staff to kind of take over. You know, Winnipeg is bad. PK habits still exist. The power play is still kind of mediocre at certain points. Um, and it's just the, line, the lineup choices still aren't ideal, in my opinion. I, I feel like the deep pairings could use some tuning and work. There's just a lot for the Jets to kind of iron out, and I don't think it's going to happen with an interim manager. I think, you know, the Jets are going to have to kind of overhaul the coaching staff from the ground up. You know, Charlie Huddy is still out there doing whatever it is he does, and the room for improvement is palpable. I think that there's a lot that the Jets could do, and it won't happen unless they kind of clean house. But that's probably not something that will occur until the offseason, most likely, and even then, I'd be surprised if it really happens. As much as I'm rooting for Lowry to succeed, I just don't really feel like he's the guy I want to put my faith in yet. I still need to see a lot more from him, and thus far, the early returns, they're not really doing it for me. So we'll see how he does over the next few weeks, but I kind of feel like we sort of know what we're getting with him. And if it's going to continue like this, Hellebuck is going to be very, very busy. I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this, though. Let me know how you feel Dave Lowry has handled the first few games as Jets head coach at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. For tonight's episode, though, that is going to do it. I'll have further Jets coverage throughout the week as well as continuations of our fictional World Cup of Hockey lineups and what we might see if a tournament happens sometime this year. Thanks for making Locked on Jets your first listen of the day every day. Now make your second listen Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all your favorite podcasting platforms, so be sure to like, follow, and subscribe today. And as always, thank you for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.